Hello, Conscious Enterprisers. I'm Roxana Rafacha, the founder of Conscious Enterprises. And today's conversation is with Michael Ventura. Um, this conversation could have been much, much longer. There were so many questions and rabbit holes I could have gone down. Um, Michael Ventura is just such a fascinating human being. Um, best known as the founder of Sub Rosa, which is a strategy and design firm that serves a multitude of Fortune 500 companies as well as progressive startups. Michael has developed a program to educate corporations and society on the importance of empathy. And this program is called Applied Empathy. Um, Michael has grown Applied Empathy into a movement, hosting client seminars, a podcast, a live event series, an immersive card game that everyone should check out on his website, um, and he even taught a course at Princeton University, um, as well as authored a book called Applied Empathy that every business person should read. I think it's also available on his website as well as Amazon. Um, and from this approach, Michael has fostered many expressions of himself through business. Um, not only does he run his firm Sub Rosa and Applied Empathy, but he also has an alternative medicine practice called Corvus. Um, he has an event space in New York City called And and And, and also um, a retail store with his wife called Calliope. Um, such a fascinating conversation. I hope you enjoy and please follow us on social media. We're on Instagram, we're on LinkedIn, and we're also on Facebook. And of course our website is www.conscious.enterprises. Enjoy. So Michael Ventura, thank you for being a part of yeah. Conscious Enterprises. My pleasure. It's so nice to be here in this awesome office of yours. I had no idea how big it was. And sun-drenched. Yes, yeah, sun-drenched. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like a little warm actually. Um, so you are best known as the founder of Subrosa, um, which is a branding and strategy firm here yep. in the West Village. Um, tell me about Subrosa and what you guys do. Sure. So. I think at our core, what, are, what we're best at is helping brands discover or rediscover their north, right? Who are we? What do we stand for? Where are we going? How will we get there? Um, what are the types of people we need inside this organization? What are the types of belief systems we need? Um, so a lot of our work sits pre-marketing, if you will, and at sort of the, at the business level, really helping leaders think about those types of big questions. And then once we help crack that code and figure out what the path forward is, then inevitably it ends up moving downstream into designing graphics design systems or you know brand identity systems or uh, communications programs or something maybe even as specific as a retail environment. You know, cool. so we have you know architects on staff and all of that sort of stuff. So sometimes it shows up really physical, sometimes oh, wow. it shows up more digital, or sometimes it just shows up strategically. Is that what you guys did for Goop? I saw that you did something. Goop, we did a uh, the Goop uh, sort of one day summit, if you will. So about yeah. five hundred attendees. Um, we produced the whole event for them, where you know there obviously there's speakers who are on stage. There's brands who are selling their wares to the attendees. There's a bunch of experiences. So executive producing that whole 
event on their behalf was our was our project for them recently. Oh, awesome! Yeah, yeah. it looked amazing. Yeah, it was. It was okay, super cool. cool. Who are some of your other like big name clients that people would recognize? Yeah, uh, I mean Nike is a client we've been working with for a long time, really cool. helping them across a variety of uh, both strategic and marketing initiatives. Um, right now, we're doing a lot of work with Marriott. Um, Marriott and Marriott. Wow. Yeah, Marriott and Starwood merged last year, maybe eighteen months ago now. Um, so we're doing a lot of culture work to help okay. bring those two enormous hospitality businesses together under one roof. Um, in the next year or so, they will have uh, as much as a million employees globally. Oh, wow. So how do you build a culture for a million people who probably will never meet each other, right? So how right. does culture transcend borders and languages and all of that sort of stuff? Um, so it's a super interesting project. And then, uh, let's see, I mean, all the usual suspects have come in and out of the doors over the years. So General Electric and Google and Target and, uh, you know, all sorts of, you know, multinationals. Um, we also, for a long while, worked with uh, the Obama administration, which was no a lot way. of fun. Yeah, we had about two years of work with them. Wow. Uh, we are not active with the current administration. <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. And when did you start Sub Rosa? Like what year was it? Sub Rosa as a brand began yeah. in 2009. Okay, 2009. Um, from 2003 to 2009, uh, it was a different company, but same the, the germ of what Sub Rosa would grow into essentially and that was called Seed mm -hmm. um, so I started that in 2003 with a couple partners and then in 2008 uh, we decided to sort of dissolve the partnership and mm -hmm. Seed became Sub Rosa and I continued oh. running the business and the partners kind of went their separate ways and did their, their next chapters cool yeah and so you've grown it to how many employees do you have now? Uh, we're about 45, 50 oh. people at any given time. Um, that's kind of where we've been for a while. I think I feel like that size kind of works for us. Awesome. Yeah. And um, how do you, I mean, it seems like you work a lot on other people's cultures. How do you instill your own cultural, yeah, corporate culture question. here? About three years ago, we made a commitment to be our own best client, which mm -hmm. is hard when you're a services business and you're always focused on right. everyone else's work. So we, um, we do a couple things. We... We have a pretty regular cadence of communication, be that a weekly team-wide meeting or you know, a series of other weekly meetings that are just very reliably set and you know where you're going to have an opportunity to sit with certain people and have a good conversation. But beyond that, something we've instituted, uh, we refer to just colloquially as Sub Rosa Day, uh, but one day a month where we do no client work where we oh. only focus inwardly cool. so we'll do training and development work we'll do you know updates to case studies or the website or things that sort of often get kind of moved to the Pushed back burner off, yeah. and you know the reason for that was we we said if you can't give your own business 12 days a year you know that seems really short-sighted right so we wanted to make sure we at least dedicated that level of attention on a, on a, on a monthly basis to keeping up with our own best practices Awesome. That's such a good idea. Yeah. Um, and you are obviously very entrepreneurial. I know you have other projects yep. other than Subrosa. What are, tell me about those. Sure. Yeah. So um, there are essentially two other businesses that I run in addition to Subrosa, but um, for me, they all kind of ladder up to the same overarching idea, which is how do I use empathy? to get out of my own shoes, look at the world from a different perspective, and provide a solution that will ultimately help someone. So right. as we've just said, for Subrosa, that's pretty obvious how that works. Um, since 2010, I've also run a alternative medicine practice where I treat, in a busy week, somewhere between 15 and 20 people a week in private oh, wow. practice. Um, that's pretty normal. Like 15 is pretty normal. 20 would be a little busy. Yeah. Um, 
and you know the ailments that someone walks in the door with are quite varied you know sometimes people will come in with low back pain or insomnia or they're trying to get pregnant or something yeah. like that but sometimes people come in because they've just kind of lost their way or lost a connection to their inner voice and want to try to rediscover yeah. that or they're going through a really serious medical issue at the moment and they need to have a uh, alternative practice to pair up with the Western practice in order to keep their immune system up or things like that. So people who are going through chemo or radiation or things like that, oh, wow. I often end up uh, working with them in partnership with their Western doctors. So it's a really nice pairing. And I work in two forms. I work in a traditional form from Mexico, uh, which is, um, uh, you know, curanderos and curanderas okay. are sort of the, the, the Mexican uh, equivalent of shaman, essentially. Got it. Um, so it's a, it's a very indigenous, very sacred, uh, traditional practice. So I do that, and then I also uh, work in Chinese medicine in a form called Qigong. How did you learn these? Uh, I trained with Mike Corandera in Mexico, um, oh, okay. and her her lineage and her tradition was passed on to me, um, which I'm very you know grateful for because traditionally it only gets passed to uh, the. Corandera's granddaughter. Oh, so a feminine tradition that has gone down through a feminine line. Oh, wow. Uh, and though I am not a Mexican granddaughter, <laughs> uh, she has taken a, a real uh, uh, liking to me over the years, and we have bonded in a way that she felt safe to pass her lineage on to me. Oh, wow. Awesome. And then the Chinese medicine uh, I got into because uh, I was really broken um, during my mid-twenties running this business was very stressful and um, had herniated discs in my back, had insomnia, oh had substance God. abuse issues, had all kinds of crazy stuff. And ultimately what got me better was not uh, medication or um, you know, surgery, but it was meditation, Tai Chi, Qigong, acupuncture. Um, and so as those things got me better, I became more curious about them and ultimately trained in them myself. Interesting. So that's like a big second part of my life. And then the third bit, because uh, there's not enough uh, <laughs> things on my plate, is uh, my wife and I three years ago started a retail store called Calliope, which okay. is also in this building. And uh, it's a home goods and furnishings shop. And so nice. you know, part of our gig is looking out into the world and seeing who's making beautiful stuff and who's yeah. putting in the right intention into it and oh, cool. sourcing things the right way and are, um, you know, are finding ways to make a house a home right right and right. then how can we be a, a clearing house for those things and sort of put them in a place for discovery and so it's a small little shop but yeah. uh, but we've gained a really passionate following and people seek us out because like they know they'll find something interesting there awesome I'll have to check that out for yeah. my real estate clients too um, so when you talked about in your 20s having this you know these yeah. troubles these health issues substance abuse whatever was this when you were starting um, Subrosa? It, I had already started well seed I had already okay. started it and it was um, so I started that when I was like 22, 23, mm -hmm. and then the issues started happening about two years later because okay. I would walk in the door and I would see 35 people who have to pay rent. Right. 35 people who have groceries to buy. 35 right. people who want to go on a date this weekend and pick up the tab, right? Right. And the stress of bringing in enough business to pay for all of those people and to make sure that they feel comfortable and secure and can do their job well sat on my shoulders and I didn't know how to deal with that stress. Yeah. And so I would bury it with drugs and alcohol and you know all of these other things. Yeah. And then eventually one day I was changing the, the water jug 
and uh, just like saw white. And the next thing I knew, I opened my eyes and I was on the ground. And the water jug is like glug, glug, glug. Oh my God. And I had herniated three discs in my lumbar <gasps> spine and could barely wow. walk. And it was just, you know, what in retrospect, the way I view that injury was that I had piled so much emotional weight on me that at a certain point, my body just said like the, just enough gave is enough. Out. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it was a signal to change my life. Oh my God. That's incredible. Yeah. So did you find that at that point or after that point you changed kind of your intentions with the business or do you think it was something that you kind of had to like, the intention was always the same and you shifted. I had to change, around I had it. to change my interior before I could change my exterior. Yeah. Right? And so I think a lot of what began uh, after that was about self-work and right. about taking care of this so that this can take care of others. And so that was, it's like the, you know, the, uh, like the wisdom of the airlines I refer, refer to it as sometimes like put your own mask on before helping others. Right. Yeah, like it was sort yeah. of like that, uh, that lesson proved out for me was really like work on me. And then once I felt good and stable and secure and knew how to yeah. stand on my own two feet, I was able to help others. Very cool. Yeah. Love that. Um, what would you say was your biggest failure or mistake um, that you're now proud of? That at the time mm -hmm. may have been such a devastating thing to your business, your personal life, whatever it was, but now has proved to be such a growing I mean, It's hard to experience. pick one. <laughs> um, I think, you know, for me, there have been so many, honestly, because you know, this is all I've ever done, right? This is the mm -hmm. only job I've ever had. I've been doing this for 16 years, maybe a little bit more. And so all of my professional mistakes sit inside one company, and, which is kind of like a weird thing. Not yeah. a lot of people have like a singular container that all of their fuck ups sit inside of. <laughs> right. But, but for me, that's sort of the way it goes. So, you know, there have been ways I've poorly managed, uh, hiring and firing people. Okay. Uh, there have been ways I have poorly managed uh, relationships with clients. There have been ways I've poorly managed my own time, mm -hmm. you know? And so there, I, it's hard to point to one because I feel like there's this, this spirit of continual improvement that I've kind of embraced over the years because if you put things off long enough, you make big mistakes. But if you pay attention enough, you make small mistakes. And those small okay. mistakes can be course corrected before they become big mistakes, right? So I feel like I make a lot of small mistakes. Okay. Um, but I try to prevent big ones from occurring. That's all you can ask for, I yeah. guess, most of the time, right? Um, and what was the original inspiration for you starting this company? Um, well, we, myself and my business partner at the time, we were both in our early 20s. And it was an era where... Brands were really starting to pay attention to digital okay. and having a, a perspective on what their online presence should be like or look like. And so for a lot of people, um, it was the first time brands were really thinking about how do we behave like a human being? Because right. up until then, they made a ad and put it on TV, or they made a billboard and they put it on a billboard, or right. whatever. But it was well, all one direction. What year is this around? Like 2003. early 2000s, okay. Right, so now this is the first time where like comments are gonna exist on a website and people can actually write in something or uh, that a brand is gonna live digitally in a channel that has a two-way dialogue like Facebook or then you know MySpace and stuff like right. that, right? So we started to think about helping, we started to realize that brands needed help behaving more like people. Mm -hmm. Like when a brand has to actually respond to your comment, 
they had a lot of questions. They were like, well, how do we respond? Who's responding? Yeah. Who from this organization is going to actually do that? Right. And what's the tone of voice? And are we going to be apologetic? Are we going to be, you know, sure of our comment? You know, like there was all of this like stuff that we as humans learn from the moment we're this big. Like, how do you behave and interact with people that brands had never done? Right. And so the impetus for really starting it was to help brands learn how to behave more like people. And that has Very evolved cool. through empathy. And so that brings me to my next question, which is about Applied Empathy, yeah. which is a big uh, program, I guess you would call yeah. it, that you guys run and apply to a lot of your clients. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, tell me about that. And tell me about sure. how, you, I know you do panel discussions about it and how yeah. kind of branched off. And so we, about four years ago, said we need to kind of declare a major, right? And okay. like stand for something that we really do care about and that we do well. And after looking back over a body of work uh, that we had developed over a decade plus, we started to see this theme of empathy emerge about when we're doing our best work, we actually get out of our own shoes and we sort of think about problems from a different perspective and we can feel and sense how others are perceiving something and in so doing, we're able to create a better solution. Okay. And so we said, if that's our thing, let's commit to it. Let's not just like put it in a slide deck and and you know, make it a nice buzzword. Let's actually make it a thing that we care about and stand for. And so uh, we began by building uh, a, a just one hour lecture that I started to give. And I was invited to go down to Princeton and give it at Princeton to a bunch of the undergrads. Oh, wow. And in doing that, um, afterwards, one of the deans for, from the university came up to me and said, I really like what you have to say. Would you be interested in creating a curriculum and teaching a class here about this? And we said, sure. And so collectively, a group of us here built a 12-week curriculum, started okay. teaching it down there. That led to a podcast that we've been doing for over two oh, years wow. and a live event series that we do every month. Um, it led to uh, you know, the development of a whole host of you know, week-long, two-day, one-day, half-day seminars that we run for clients. Uh, and then most recently, the, uh, the authoring of a book called Applied Empathy, right. which will be out uh, in May um, out in the world. Oh, great. I'll have to get yeah. the links for that. Very cool. Um, and yeah, I didn't realize you did a podcast too. Yeah, so we record this monthly panel that we do okay. uh, for a podcast. So it's a live, live audience, it. and then, you make and it then we push it to a podcast awesome. as well. Awesome. Love that. Um, like, why do you consider your business to be a conscious enterprise? And what kind of higher purpose do you think you serve in everything that you do? I mean, I think there's an inward and an outward way of answering that. Inwardly, I think what we try to do with our team is to have everyone be aware enough of themselves and who they are and what they're working on and acknowledge and, and very much sort of broadcast even in our um, sort of our own brand book for Sub Rosa that uh, we admit and embrace the fact that we are a work in progress, right? Cool. And so I think part of being aware of yourself and conscious is knowing that, uh, that it is a journey and that we're constantly learning and that we're constantly improving. And if we're aware of that, you know, there is no finish line and it's, it's, a, it's a process we go through. Right. And so collectively we all kind of work together and you know, I know if someone's working on something, if I can be helpful to them, I'm going to do so because it'll help get them where they need to go. Right. And I'll probably learn something along the way too. Um, but then on a more macro level and a more external facing level, you know, some people might look at some of the companies we work with and take issue with them because of some practice they might have, you know, 
in the past, Nike had you know been dragged through the press for its labor practices in Asia, and you know General Electric has had you know bad press around their oil and gas business or right. things like that, right? But for us, like that's the point of the work we're doing is like if we can go into organizations that have challenges that are trying to play on a global scale or are playing on a global scale and doing really great work in some fields can we help them improve some of the areas where they're not doing so well you know if you can make a company that's that's doing something that doesn't feel right behave better right that's almost better than you know working with the, well, we would say no, but like, you know, then working with the Patagonias of the world who are already doing so much right, right. you know? Like, go where the problems are, don't go where the, the best the, the best examples are. Though, really like, great. You know, yeah. though, like I said, like, if Patagonia calls tomorrow, we'd be happy to take the call. <laughs> right, very cool. Um, what do you think you do to, when you talk about going in, you make sure that everyone who works here looks inward. Mm -hmm. um, what are some of the techniques that you use to so, instill that in your employees? Uh, one of the things that we do is, you know, we have a, a fairly regular cadence of personal um, reflection and renewal time. So, you know, you'll do a self-assessment a couple times a year. You'll be assessed by your colleagues a couple times a year. You'll have oh, sit-downs cool. to really have a, a dialogue and a way to exchange that information so that you can understand what you're doing well, where you have opportunities for growth. Um, but then beyond that, we do uh, two major day-long um, either off-sites or on-sites here every year where we will bring in different types of programming or thinking that will let you uh, explore your interior world in a different way, be that in the form of meditation or some other tradition, uh, or maybe just a journaling exercise or something like uh, how we met in part, which was mm -hmm. through the use of the develop, just for the context of the interview, um, you know, the questions and empathy cards are essentially like, Highbrow cards against humanity. Right. Know, instead of instead of like dirty jokes, we're asking deep questions. But right. but doing that with a colleague that you might have been working with for two years and yeah. spending twenty minutes doing that, you're going to know more about that person in twenty minutes. Than so you, you guys utilize those cards yeah. here usually. Okay, cool. That's really awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Um, and do your do you yourself have like a regular like morning ritual or anything you do mm -hmm. to like keep yourself like aligned? What do you do? Yeah, for sure. Um, I have a Taoist practice, so um, typically I'll get up and I have about an hour of Tai Chi, Qigong oh, meditation, wow. uh, and then if I'm feeling extra stiff or like you know just <laughs> off a plane, I'll throw in uh, some Yin Yoga as well. Oh, wow. um, but that's that's every morning, seven days a week for the past five years. Awesome. Um, like you know, like don't don't miss a day if yeah. you know. Uh, and then after that, I'll usually. Um, get dressed and then I see I see a, a client for my alternative medicine practice uh, starting at uh, 8 a.m. Oh, wow. So I go from 8 to 9 with a, with a client mm -hmm. and then by 9.15 I'm in Sub Rosa, go for the rest of the day yeah. and then see another client at 6.15. So wow. those two treatments at the beginning and the end of the day really bookend my day Okay. and give me an opportunity to be wholly present with one other person because when... I'm at Sub Rosa and we're sitting in this room or a room like this, clients aren't paying us for the present moment. They're paying right. us for what we're going to do together. What you're delivering, yeah. And what will happen next, right? Mm -hmm. So there isn't a lot of value placed on the now in the commercial world that we live in. Right. But in a treatment, 
that's all we have because right. I can't help what happened before you come in, right. nor can I help what happens at 9.01 when you walk out the door. Right. So all I can do is be of service in that 60 minutes that we have together. And right. so it's a nice way to bookend the day being wholly present with another person. Wow, packed schedule, cool. Um, how do you, I mean, you have so much going on, so many fun things. Um, how do you measure success? Uh, I would say by how comfortably I sleep. <laughs> really? Okay. Yeah, I feel like if I'm going to bed without anxiety, without yeah. my motor running, um, then I'm probably doing the right thing. Cool. You know, I, like money is a side effect of doing what you love. I've never right. really thought that money is the, the driver. Um, impact, some people will say quantity is more important than quality. Some people will say quality is more important right. than quantity. I think that depends depends on what the problem is and what you're trying to change yeah uh, so for me it really is like you know, do I feel good about what I'm doing and am I uh, am I comfortable enough when I lay my head down at the end of the night to know that I, I did a good piece of work for that day cool so would you consider yourself to be a successful person today yeah for okay. sure I, I successful with a lot of room to grow awesome um, and on the point of money, it's interesting to talk to entrepreneurs about, you know, uh, attracting the right money. When you were going through the beginning of Sabrosa and when you're talking about having this weight on your shoulders of, you know, people need to get paid and this right. and that, um, did you find that there was something like a, either a turning point, a realization, a catalyst for you that um, allowed money to kind of start flowing to you more naturally? I think you don't, money doesn't find you until you value yourself. And, you know, I had a, I had a teacher, my, uh, my Qigong master um, was talking to me about as I began practicing. Uh, in the beginning, I didn't want to charge because I didn't feel I was at a state of learning enough where I could. So I had proposed that I would just do this exchange right because it's what was most meaningful was that you were to give and receive and I was to give and receive but if you brought me you know a, a pie from the farmers market that would be fine you didn't have to pay me in money and I had been doing that for a little while and uh, and he told me that at the end of the day there has to be a value you put on your time and there has to be a value you value your work at right otherwise people will set the value for it for right. you. And that's true in any business, right? If you don't value your time and value who you are and the work you provide to them, someone else is going to value it for you. And there's a very high likelihood they will value it less than you would value yourself. Yeah. So, um, you know, don't be afraid to know what you're worth or declare what you're worth to other people because, um, that sets, that sort of puts the right vibration in the air for things to come to you and find you. Totally. Love that. Um, what are your goals, I'd say, in the next year, two years, for all these endeavors that you're working on? Um, I have a colleague here who says uh, he has a good analogy for it, where he, you know, in the development of, of like physical. Um, prowess, I guess, for lack of a better word, uh, there's a period where you build bulk and a period where you build definition, Okay. right? And like you can't define your, your strength until you 
put the mass on first, right? Right, right. We've done mass, yeah. right? And so really my job in the next few years for the work we do is about definition. It's about those like slight refinements. It's yeah. about, you know, just like making, tightening every screw and making those adjustments. But granted, there may still be occasions where seismic change needs to occur. We may, amidst making those small modifications, discover, wow, that really isn't serving us. Right. Or, or it's doing the wrong thing for this business. And, um, and to not be afraid to take action when those things occur or, or when they're discovered, right? And right. to say like, okay, you know what? This, is, this was good for us at, for a while, but we ultimately have to change that. So, you know, I guess it's when we say goals, like I don't have a like three-year horizon that at this point we're going to be this and doing this and da 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 da, da. It's yeah. more a daily practice of refinement towards growth and um, team satisfaction. Awesome. Great. Um, what impact would you like to make on the world or the universe if you had unlimited resources? Yeah, I mean, I think empathy cures a lot. Yeah. Uh, if we could make the world a more empathic place, I yeah. think we would see a lot of the other changes I would like to see in the world. People wouldn't be um, depleting natural, uh, natural resources at the same rate. Um, indigenous communities would be uh, protected and thriving. Yeah. Um, the societal crises that we in this country are going through right now, from Black Lives Matter to Me Too to gun control to mm -hmm. everything else, would have a different perspective if we could just see and convince others to see each other's angles and meet in the middle and yeah. refine a bit more. Yeah. Um, so, you know, for me, I've, I've elected that uh, empathy is going to be my path into that and, and by virtue of that, collectively our path into that. So um, that's really where we're putting our focus. Beautiful. Um, what's a valuable piece of advice? What is a valuable piece of advice that you'd like to give other entrepreneurs that are creating businesses with conscious intentions? You know, the, one of the early pieces of advice I got, which is true, I think, for not just entrepreneurs, but also just humans, mm -hmm. um, is to start to really find the comfort in the discomfort, right? If you, the way it was phrased to me, uh, which I've sort of evolved in my mind over the years, is uh, if you don't get into trouble, you'll never learn how to get out of it. Right. right. And so if you always play it safe and if you always kind of, you know, just do the easy thing, you're not creating any tension for growth. You're not creating any opportunity for expansion. Right. Um, so don't be afraid to take the hard risk or the the overwhelming thing or the risky thing, because that's where real growth occurs. That's where you're pushing your boundaries and ultimately will find something more meaningful. OK, cool. Um, is there anything you wanted me to ask you or you wanted to talk about that I didn't bring up? Um, no, you covered a lot of good ground. Okay, I cool. went fast, but, that, <laughs> but that, that, was, that was really good. Okay, cool. What's your, um, what's your astrological sign? Uh, I am a Cancer Sun. Okay. I am a Sag Moon and I'm a Scorpio Rising. Really? Yeah. I would not have pegged that. Okay, cool. The intensity, cool. Yeah, <laughs> it's there. It's it just is kind there, of like yeah. tucked in corners. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much for yeah. doing this. It's been so great to like hear your story. Um, and yeah, maybe we'll 
do this again in like a year or six months see where, and see where you're there. at. Yeah, this is really great. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Yeah. 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 Thank you. I really appreciate it.